Now, my next guest gave up a potential career in winemaking to pursue his true passion, music. Ramon Alexander is a leading figure within the Cape Town jazz scene, but before tickling the ivories full-time, he studied winemaking at Stellenbosch University. Uh, luckily, he decided for us that his uh, true calling lay in music and not Merlot. And now with two solo albums under his belt and having played with the best of the best, uh, Ramon is considered to be one of Cape Town's leading pianists, musical arrangers and composers. And it's my pleasure to welcome him to the Late Night Studio. Ramon, it's a pleasure to have you in studio with us. Thank you so much and welcome to Late Nights on Cape Talk. Thank you very much, Sarah. So I'm going to start by asking a question that I I often ask uh, my musical guests because I'm so fascinated by the array of answers that I get. And that is, what is your earliest musical memory? Oh, my earliest musical memory, I'd say, was... um listening to my brother practice when he um, took music lessons um, I think I must have been about um, five or six years old yeah and I always used to play um, um, I couldn't play piano but I always said um, to um, my mom's colleagues who visited the house I said um, I'm gonna play your song now I'm gonna play you I love a song <laughs> and then I used to just make this noise on the piano but you could see you could hear that that I was trying to imitate my brother sure. with with the rhythms but I couldn't get the notes quite right <laughs> and when you when you heard him playing was it something was it something that you thought this is this is I'm moved by the music or I I want to make I want to make similar sounds because I remember listening to my my earliest me- probably musical memories mm. or also of probably my brother having yeah. piano lessons yeah. not that not the most beautiful sound on earth because he was about eight but still but mm. I remember sitting and watching him and thinking I want to do that yeah I think um what I remember vividly about his his playing and his practicing there was this one tune out out of the book he was um learning from was called like something um, like snake dance or something so it had this like really sort of eastern sound to it like like from India or wherever you know like a lot of minor keys yeah minor keys <laughs> like from from the east you know somewhere there and that sort of appealed to me mm. and um, it still does actually <laughs> and then for you when was the first time that you sat down at an instrument or picked up an instrument um, to learn well, in about, say, about two years after that, um, my parents got, got divorced, and I was um, sort of forced to go and live with my sister out in Mossel Bay. And um, one of the things that they thought would keep a young um, child um, busy was to, to send him for piano lessons. <laughs> so um, I think I was eight years old when I, when I met my, um, my teacher at that time. Mm. That was it back way back in 1988. How many years is that? 31 years ago. Oh, that ages us all horribly. <laughs> wow. Okay. And that's when you started playing. That's when I started um, playing, and I um, obviously that's when I um, learned to read music and write music. And um, how grateful are you that you were able to, that that happened at an early age? Because I speak to musicians now who um, perhaps have, have taught themselves to play a self-taught um, and and sort of and can't read music and now realise actually the importance for them of now learning. And I guess it must be like learning a language. Yes, I suppose so because I th- I can tell you that I didn't think much of of my my earlier training until I was sort of grown up and realized that it sort of paved the way for me, you know. So um, a lot of people, my peers, you know, very good, good musicians don't read, they don't write. 
and um, they they have big dreams of playing with orchestras and big bands and stuff, and and they simply won't be able to do mm. that because they can't read. It's a very competitive world out there, so I'm, I'm very lucky to sort of be at a level where I can compete with with people who are trained and yeah. and and. Um, who have degrees and stuff like that. Did you enjoy the theory side of music as a child? Or, like me, did you think, oh, just let's get on with the playing? Actually, um, I can't actually remember. I can just only remember I had this huge fascination with composers and composers' names and stuff. And I used to sort of challenge myself, you know, when I was I was quite smart at school. So, mm. I, didn't, so I was very distracted. Right. Yeah. Easily distracted. Easily distracted because sometimes um, out, out of boredom, I would just open a book and just write down and challenge myself if I can write down 100 classical composers' names. Really? And I did that. Because, I mean, I'm like I'm like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And then um, um, I never, at that stage, when I learned piano, I only learned to play music. And it was only when I... Um, finished school that um, I came to Cape Town and um, I took lessons with Merton Barrow which is like one of the foremost um, jazz teachers in, in Cape Town one of the foremost jazz pianists also so um, I was very privileged to, to have him as my teacher and um, that was the first time I actually um, got taught theory but I had an interest in theory. I loved it because I remember at school, in high school, I used to sit in the library and I always used to open up a theory book and it sort of interested me um, just to read about Debussy, how he used the whole tone scale in Prelude in the Afternoon of a Fawn. You know, it's one of his famous pieces. It's one of his famous orchestral pieces. And um, it was only later that I learned that I could use all that theory mm. in my jazz playing today you know so mm. um yeah um theory was something that i picked up um it was an interest that i picked up along along the way i never got taught theory when i was was young but i still love it and i i love to teach it i used to um teach at Stellenbosch university for eight or nine years i think and it was um obviously one of one of my favorite topics mm. to talk about sure Let's talk a little bit about the music that was in your household while you were growing up. I mean, obviously, um, it must have been a relatively musical family for you and your brother to have been given piano lessons. Or was that literally to keep, you know, the devil wake, makes work for idle thumbs? No, no well, there's, there was always music in, in the house and a deep mm. appreciation for it. I think my mother had very good taste in, she loved class, classical music, for instance. Uh, my dad... Um, also love classical music, but he was very, he's a, like a, to say he's a Elvis fan is like a understatement. So he was like, he's got like Elvis gold plated CDs and he's got like a, he had a clock <laughs> where, where the, the pendulum was like Elvis's swinging uh, hips. He, yeah, his hips. I know, yeah. the, I know the exact <laughs> clock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, but, um, Jazz was never um, part of the the family's first loves. Mm. It was, um, I think, my uncle. He, they play something that's similar to jazz. Uh, well, my definition of jazz and their definition of jazz is not really the same. It's a very broad term. Yeah, 
Very broad. Yeah. Yeah. At what point did you think, this is good fun and I'm enjoying it, but this is what I'd like to do professionally? Was there a moment where you thought, okay, everyone else is becoming whatever they're becoming, but I want to be a, I want to be a pianist or composer? Uh, nothing like that um, I, e- I ever planned. Um, it just happened. I think um, uh, when I went to university, actually, I went to university to, to study to become a winemaker. And while I was studying, I was um, playing in Christian outreach um, groups and stuff and church. And I just knew that, okay, well, this, there's something happening now. You know, I can, I can make money from playing music. And that was the first time the thought actually crossed my mind that I could do it as a profession. Mm. And when I graduated back in 2004, I just, you know, I think my mom was already passed away at that time. And she always said, I can do anything that I want. As long as I've got something to f- to fall back on, and I honoured that, mm. Um, mm. you know. So. When you decided that this, or, or it, you thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I, I mean, how did you have a, a plan as to, okay, this is this is how my career is going to go, or did you kind of just literally put yourself out there and see? You know, if it works, it works, and if not, then I've got the winemaking to fall back on. And what was also what was your first? paid gig do you remember i actually do remember it wasn't when i um finished um school it was mm. actually while i was at school i was um 15 years old and it was i was still in what they call standard eight yeah today's grade 10 and i used to stay at the york high hostel in george and on a friday night i used to um dip for this piano player I think um, who are those people who don't go um, work on a Friday? Is it the Seven Days Adventists okay. or, or like Jehovah's Witness was one of those um, religions? Um, and then I used to be—they used to pick me up at the hostel. It the the gig was at the Karos Hotel in Wilderness. So that hotel has got a different name now. So it means it was a long time ago. <laughs> And that was your first paid gig? That was my first paid gig. And, and, you know, I actually got, at that time, I got 30 rand a month pocket money from home because I stayed at hostel. Mm -hmm. I didn't need anything besides the odd ends, you know, that I needed to attend to. So um, that gig actually paid me 100 rand. Yo, you must have thought you'd won the lottery. A night. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So 400 rand a month compared to my 120 rand that I got from home. Mm. It was pretty good going. Yeah, not bad, not bad. What would you say has been your, was your big break? Was there, was there a moment where you were at a, at an event or you're playing with somebody or you're on stage and you think, this is, this is not it, because it then suggests that it, you mm. can't go further. But when you think, I'm making it, I'm doing it. You know, I've never been a, a sort of... Um, somebody who wished to play with somebody else i've always wanted to do my own thing and um and for me that question is taboo because i'm still trying to make it mm. and um um yeah 
there's never been a moment like like that, and I don't think I'm the type of person who will get a moment like that because I've played with with people. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, Drop some names, please. I've played with the late Robbie Jansen. Mm. I've played with um, McCoy Murapata. I've played with. Um, I play in a in a in a band called the Cape Jazz Band. It's basically Robbie Jansen's old Sons of Table Mountain. And um, we only do overseas gigs with that because there's no demand for that band here yet. Mm. And then, um, uh, you know, I've played with a couple of people, but it's not really something that I would say it's it's wonderful because it just plays balls. Mm. You know, mm. that's how, how I feel, feel about playing with, with people like that. Right, right. What do you enjoy about performing oh, when you perform overseas that must be because i mean you, you whereabouts have you performed <clears throat> and our audience is very different in different places yeah well i haven't been uh, um abroad many times i've only been like um once i think yeah once that was about two years ago i went with a cape jazz band it was my first time with that band but mm. that band has traveled a lot so that was my first mm. gig with him so um and where did you go we went to um, Borneo. I was not expecting you to say Borneo. Oh. Like, I don't know why. I, th- I sort of had Dubai in my mind or somewhere no, like that. No, Okay, you went to Borneo. Yes. How was it? It was fantastic. Um, the people, um, that's when I, I mean, I, I really saw now that that's where some of our people of color come from. Mm. A lot of the, our, our people, you know, with our Asian roots, if you have it, yeah. them, it comes from there. It's like when when people always say when they go to like um, Europe and people say, it feels like I've been here before. Mm. You know, uh, it feels like that for me when I when I'm there. Mm. Mm. Sure, Borneo did not Im- did not expect you to say that. Um, talk about uh, you. you uh, an album came out uh, last year um, by Mountain Records, which you feature on. I mean, you've you've obviously got your own music, and and we'll be hearing uh, some of that in just a minute. But uh, tell us a little bit about this latest album. Oh, this latest album is, uh, um, for me, I'm very proud to be associated with, with this project and, um, it features some of the top names in the Cape Jazz piano, um, sort of realm. Um, there's, um, Ibrahim Khalil Shihab, who I, who's my mentor and I love him. Like, for me, he's like my Herbie Hancock mm. or Chick Corea. He lives right here in Cape Town. Um, and then there is obviously like a Carl Shepard, you know, who's also like making waves in the world at the moment. And, um, Hilton Shilder, um, that comes also like Ibrahim from that very talented mm. Shilder family. Mm. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And it's a very good, good album, representative album because it, it talks about um, con- conservation of, of a certain style. Yeah. And also it also, talks about the future of 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 where this style is going let's talk about that for a minute that the preservation of true cape town music and, mm-hmm. and cape town jazz how do we do it and and how are we doing at it preservation of cape town music i think um there's not a lot of documentation really of it really there's um obviously just a, a certain bunch of musicians coming from a from I would say Pacific Express and um, if you look at Robbie Jansen, Ibrahim, Basil Kutsia, 
they come from there and, and you get these guys who also are um, from the Abdullah Ibrahim alumni school, I, I, I call it, um, like Basil and Robbie and, um, and the like, and Errol Dyers. Um, so there's not a lot of recorded music then. Obviously, just before them, there's uh, a guy like Harold Chafter who stays in Sweden. At the moment, he's in his 90s already. He, he has recorded a couple of, of Guma-flavored um, um, albums. Um, in the modern day, there's not many. I think it's myself and Kyle and um, people like Mark Franzman. Yeah. Do you think that the younger artists who are, who are coming up have any idea about the importance of of preserving the music that that you are playing and that you that is that is your sort of history musically um because often you know i have i have young artists in studio and they are hugely talented i mean hugely Mm. talented and and very much this year a lot of young jazz artists um as opposed to r&b or pop or or whatever Mm. um do you think that they are doing justice to and to 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 preserving the music or um are they creating new music to be preserved in the future well let me tell you this. If you don't know your past, then you can't really build anything. Mm. You know, can't really build the future. And I think there's a big uh, gap there uh, where people don't know who they are, where they come from. People who don't realize that, for instance, Kuma music is their heritage. People of, of, of color, people of mixed race. Mm. Because the typical Kryptonian, um, the person of color the creole type person has roots from europe indigenous and asia and that guma flavor in our music comes from asia Mm. and some of this church music it comes from here um that you that you feel in the music it comes from south south africa Mm. Mm. there's three chord music that sounds like a choral um, music. Mm. Um, and there's lots of people there that do not realize that. I, this one, I, I remember this one incident where I played with Robbie Jansen and um, I played with him at a club and he was um, playing uh, a kuma tune, like, just like improvising, just out of nothing. And he wanted me to play with. And, and he basically embarrassed me in front of a, the crowd, but... And he said, um, some people like you, like you, you know, you play this American music well, but when it comes to our own music, you know nothing. And I was very, I must say, sure. I mean, well, not in so many words, but that's basically, mm. um, what he said. And it, it shook me. And, and today I, I'm thankful for, for that because now I, I can go out and r- really touch people who like eight years ago, I didn't know anything. You know about this music is actually something that we can call our own. Mm. You know, so um, lots of people, you know, when I play and I tell them these stories, and they are quite fascinated by it. And I think that's my that's my calling. Mm. You know, to ed- educate our people about part of our, our, our heritage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Listen, tell us where uh, you are going to be performing in the coming weeks, months, if people want to see you. Okay. Um, at the moment, I'm playing just down the road here. Yeah. I'm playing in um, at a place called the Daily Music Show. Oh, at yes, ha- yes, 110 yes. Loop Street, I think. Um, I'm playing there 
tomorrow night and Thursday night from six um, six thirty onto uh, well the the program runs from six thirty till about nine o'clock, mm-hmm. and I play probably from about seven till just after eight, and then um, this weekend I'm playing at the Fuertfies with mm. Ibrahim Khalil Shihab. I'm I'm musical director for that um, show there, and then on the eighth. That's next Friday. Friday. Yeah. Yeah. I will be playing with my band at um, the Voortvius Jazz in the Quad, it's called. I'm going to be there. Oh. Yeah. You I'm are. there. Yeah, because I've got to go and talk about my book, so I'm going to be there. Oh, okay. Yep. Cool. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and I'm playing the Saturday with a guy called Skulky Bear. Mm. Yeah, and then from there, I'm actually going to be in the studio for a couple of days, and then I'm off to the car con car. Okay. Oh, is that is that happening already? Yeah. Sure. Doesn't the year go quickly? Listen, it's been a huge pleasure to have you on and fascinating. I could speak to you for, for hours um, about music and identity. I think they're all very much intertwined. Yeah. Uh, but we've got a couple of uh, of your songs that uh, or your compositions, that I say, that we are going to play. Will you introduce them for us? The one song that we're going to hear now is what um, I was playing on the Martin Records release of last year. And um, what the producer wanted specifically for this project was um, that we had to sort of um, choose a Cape Town um, standard and perform that. And um, so I chose um, Tony Shielder's Montreal to play on solo piano. And the other song is probably at the moment my flagship tune. It's most most requested when I, where I go um, and it always sort of it's home when, when when we play it. It's called Sons and Captains, and the uh, um, the title is very important because um, the, it's a Guma tune, mm. and it it it's a tribute to two of my Guma music heroes, namely Robbie Jansen, who had a band called the Sons of Table Mountain, mm. and Mr. Mac McKenzie, who had a group called the Guma Captains. Ah, beautiful! Yeah, fantastic. Let's take a listen. <laughs> 